I'm Andy Wildman. I uh, served at Grace Bible Church that way on staff for 28 years and um, was an elder before that. So I was in board meetings for 31 years, and I'm still a Christian in spite of that. Um, So um, one of my elders was complaining, this is my third year. I said, don't even. Come on. Um, So uh, I knew my daughter went to school with a lot of the folks that were part of this church for a long time, and I met Jeff at a prayer thing one time, and he called me and said, would you substitute until we can get someone better? And I said, I'm happy to. So um, it's a pleasure to be with you again. We live in Fort Worth now, but it's fun to come over. We've rearranged our social engagements. So we had dinner last night with old Dallas friends, and next time I'm here, we're going to go hear Bramford Marsalis, because I'm a jazz guy, and y'all are very convenient to us. So thank you. for your help. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of coming together to worship with like-minded friends. Pray that you would use your word by the power of your spirit to cause us to think and to respond and obey and fall in love with you more today. In Christ's name, amen. I have one wife. That's all I've ever had. I had two daughters. I had a mother, a mother-in-law, four granddaughters. I have some experience with the fairer sex. And one of the things I've learned is that no matter how good you ladies were, look to us, you're rarely happy with your hair. It, it's just, I don't understand it. You know, it's just this struggle. I'm not happy with my hair. You look great. I'm going to change it. Why? You know, um, in fact, I always said that, you know, on dates in high school, you'd go pick up the girl and they'd always do something to pile it up on top of their head. And I said to my girls, I can tell you what your date is thinking. Why did you do that with your hair? Um, I think it was part of the curse. By the sweat of the brow, man, you will work until the earth. And, and women, you're not going to be happy with your hair. It's, it's, just, it's, it's, it's just something, one of the great rules of the world that I don't totally understand. Um, and, and similarly, I actually said that one time, and a lady walked up and said, I love my hair. And it was about that long. And I thought, well, no wonder. You know, you cut it all off. Um, Not many of us believers are really happy with our prayer life. We all feel a certain level of frustration. Uh, At least most of the ones that I've talked to will say, yeah, uh, I struggle with it, Um, my prayer life. I I have one buddy that I've known since the seventh grade, and he said, I'm happy with my prayer life. He gets up at 4.30 and prays for two hours. Um, um, But most of us, we struggle with our prayer life. It It is a... We know it's important because it's been important in our Christian lives. And it's, prayer's universal. There have been studies that even atheists and agnostics pray, which is fascinating how often that happens. That, that, you know, when we may deny God, but when we get in real trouble, we'll say, okay, Lord, if you're there, show up. I need help right now. Prayer is, is a universal thing. It's across all religions. Um, and yet, it, it's, it's oftentimes a struggle. Uh, one reason is, I don't know about you, I struggle with focus. You know, I, I, I get started and then my stomach growls and I think, I wonder what's for dinner. Um, or I think about work. I you was always kind of a workaholic, in, you know. Um, or I've been known to go to sleep in the middle of a prayer. When Julie and I were dating, we'd pray together and until I heard a quiet, steady breathing next to me and, and know that I might have prayed too long. Um, um, it's hard to stay focused. Um, 
It's hard to know how prayer works, right? Because we have a sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient, eternal God, and you're thinking, what does he need from me? It's not like I can inform him. In fact, one of my favorite passages, I'm going to say some things in here that I forgot to say in the first service because I like y'all more, okay? <laughs> Just don't tell them that, but I, I think I like y'all more. Um, you know, the end of Job. Job uh, has prayed and prayed and had all this argument with his friends, and God finally says, you know, you really need to be quiet. You weren't around when I created everything. And, and so you think, maybe I don't have anything to say to God. And then there's the disappointments, the times we prayed and he said no, or just felt quiet. That's why that great theologian Garth Brooks said, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. And while he's not a great theologian, one writer said he looks like a thumb with a hat on it. But he, he I didn't say it, a writer said it. Um, he, he hits on something that really does hit a nerve, doesn't he? that we look back at times and, and say, I'm grateful. But how does prayer work? How do I inform God? And what do I do with my disappointments? And, and then when I was growing up, you had to pray in King James English. And, and it took a while to get the these and the thous and knowest. And, 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 and while I still love hearing older saints pray that way, it took a while to learn just to talk to God. So there's a lot of frustration in the issue with prayer. And it's encouraging to know that we're not the first. If you look at uh, Matthew 11, which she read so beautifully today, in Luke 11, I always like to see where Julie is because she's heard this before. And she'll say, no. <laughs> what really worries me is when she does this, <laughs> which she has done on more than one occasion. Um, don't go there. Um, dive, dive. Um, squirrel. In Luke chapter 11, the disciples come to Jesus after they've seen him praying and say what? Lord, teach us to pray. Because they saw something in his prayer life that was remarkable. By the way, as an aside, you want to give yourself a theological headache. Try to figure out Jesus praying. Co-equal to the Father, fully God, fully man, um, uh, eternal, omniscient, all-knowing. So what is he talking to God about? And we may get a little hint of that as we look at the issue of prayer. So Jesus, uh, the disciples say to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. But let me remind you, in spite of the disappointments and everything else, when you go to prayer, remember this. There's no question of God's love. Why do we know that? Because he gave us his son. There's no question about God's love because he gave us his son. Even when we pray and we don't understand what in the world he's doing, it is always the cross that reorients us to who he is and how he feels about us. Right? There's no question. And, and remember that God, because of who he is, even when we pray ba badly, he can answer well, which is pretty encouraging. Even when we pray badly, God can answer well. So there are certain things that we can encourage ourselves with in spite of the disappointment. Um, but the other thing I'd say is the reason prayer is important is because oftentimes it's the only thing we can do. 
Think of how many things that happen in your life that you've, you've come to the end of your rope and there's nothing you can do. Bill Bryan was the previous pastor of my church and he was chaplain at Dallas Seminary. One of his best lines was, has it come to this? We're going to have to pray. But the reality is sometimes that's one of our weaknesses. We don't really take prayer seriously until we've exhausted all other options. But, but that's why prayer is important is that it is oftentimes the only thing that we can do. And that's why it's so important that we learn to pray. So the disciples said, Lord Jesus, to pray. And first of all, I want you to notice he gives them a model prayer. Now, Luke's version is not the full version that Matthew gives. Um, if you grew up in a church where you recited the Lord's Prayer, you kind of feel like Luke left parts out. Um, but probably Jesus taught this uh, issue multiple times and did it differently each time. Uh, but every, all the elements of the Lord's Prayer are in this one. Um, so what does he say? Uh, pray this way. Father, hallowed be your name. It's interesting. Um, God is referred to as Father in the Old Testament 14 times. And every time it's related to him being Father of a nation. Jesus refers to God as Father 60 times. Some theologians say the very issue of how Father is introduced in the, in the understanding of who God is is so significant it defines the difference between the Old and New Testament. Jesus radically altered the understanding of who God is when he introduced the fact that he was not only his heavenly father, it's the son of God, but then we would be children of God as well. Massively significant that Jesus would say, Father. And you may have heard, if you've heard a sermon, that the term that is used is a relatively informal term. It's a term that a son would use of his dad. Some have said daddy. I, think it, I don't think it's quite that informal, but, but it is an informal term uh, that, that acknowledges relationship and love and comfort. Our Father. It, it starts with our knowledge of to whom it is we pray. And really, the foundation of prayer is who we're praying to. If you're praying to a chair, you may pray a beautiful prayer, but it's a waste of time, right? Because chairs don't answer prayer. If you're praying to a God that you've created, whether a totem pole or in your own mind, but he's not the God of creation, then it's a waste of time. This is a prayer to the Father God of the universe who made all things and who holds all things together, and he is our Father. And then he immediately goes to a desire that God be worshipped. Hallowed be your name. May your name be treated as holy. May your reputation be honored as it should be. Which obviously, if I call that for other people, then I should be saying it to me. It starts with a, an awareness of who God is and a desire that, that the world around will treat him that way. One of the great things we look to, forward to in eternity was that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. That all of the living creatures will fall on their knees and acknowledge the holiness of God. And the holiness of God is in many ways uh, the summary of all the characteristics of God because holiness means set apart, different, separate, unlike any other. So when God loves, he loves unlike anyone else. When God is powerful, he's powerful unlike anyone else. He is, he is unique in his perfections and his beauty. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
a yearning for the time when all humanity will submit to his will, when, he, when Jesus will sit on his throne, and depending on your view, on, on earth and reign in his eternal kingdom the way he does in heaven, as Matthew says. A yearning, a yearning for the world to submit to him. Why? Because then the world will be the way we yearn for it. C.S. Lewis has a wonderful quote. I'm going to mishandle a little bit, but it's something to the extent. The very fact that I yearn for something that does not exist means that I was made for something else. And that yearning for the perfections of his kingdom is because we were made to ultimately enjoy the benefits of sitting under the rulership of God. And so the prayer says, may your kingdom come. Um, Give us this day our daily bread. Many theologians have pointed to the manna of the Exodus. Just as God provided daily for the needs of bread for the nation of Israel because they were in the wilderness and could not find enough to eat. And so God provided manna, which means in Hebrew, what is it? By the way, don't do that at home when your wife has made something. What is that? Um, no, seriously, it was, it was a remarkable daily provision of God, and it's an acknowledgement. And one of the weaknesses we have in the affluence of North America is we think we are the reason we're being fed because we go to work and we're healthy and we're skilled and we get paid. But, but this prayer reminds us everything we have ultimately comes from his hand. That he's the one that gave us the strength. He's the one that allowed us to be born at a time as this. He's the one that provides the jobs. And when he starts allowing those things to leave, you suddenly realize just how dependent upon him we are. Julie is an artist, and for my birthday, she painted for me a picture of a hand reaching down. And because my favorite passage about God's gift provision is 1 Chronicles 29, where David is praying, for, thanking God for the provision for the temple. And he says, who am I and who are my people that we should give to you such as this? Uh, everything we have comes from your hand. And I have this visual image of God's hand reaching down from heaven and maybe even the pierced hand of Jesus. And we as children take our food from that hand and when we give back, it's given to him what he first gave to us. Give us this day our daily bread. Now this version doesn't say it, but 1 Thessalonians 5 and a number of other places make it uh, clear that when he does give us part of our responsibility is gratitude. I'm convinced that one of the most significant barometers of our spiritual life is how much we live with the issue of gratitude. And that's why we say grace, right? That's why, which is gift. That's why we pray before meals historically to acknowledge that what we have is a gift of God and to remind ourselves that we have that food because of his gift. By the way, when my girls were in college, we took them to Nigeria and, and exposed them to what it is to not have food. And that changed both of them. Because we take for granted so many things that God has so graciously given to us. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our sins. Love the songs about it. I pointed out that well done. Nice job. song on mercy. Pass the cornbread publishing. Love that. That's brilliant. I'm from East Texas. I mean, you know, that's one of the food groups is cornbread. So, um, 
but pray, praying and for, uh, for forgiveness, acknowledging my sinfulness. You think, well, I, Jesus forgave me when I accepted him as, as my Savior. Didn't he forgive me? Did that put all behind? But even in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul, whom God used, maybe the most significant person in history besides Jesus himself. Romans chapter 7 confesses how he yet struggles with sin. The very thing I don't want to do is what I do, and what I do, I don't want to do wop, do wop, to do. So the, the, I'm sorry, this stuff is going on all the time. Sometimes it comes out, and I apologize. Um, um, seriously, we all struggle with sin, right? And that reminder of forgiveness is one of the things that keeps us coming back in our gratitude and, and to his grace. As we also forgive others. You know one of the greatest ways you can destroy a prayer life? Carry resentment to the altar. My dad's best friend was a car mechanic. And um, Ralph would make fun of his own inability to forgive by saying, I'm going to take that guy off into a corner and think bad thoughts about him. Because the irony is, when we don't forgive... It's all inside our heads. We're not doing anything to them. They go on about their business happily ever after. And we have a ruined life because we can't let go of our grudge. And, and Scripture says that we've been forgiven. Therefore, we should live out our forgiveness by forgiving others. And when we don't forgive, it destroys our personal walk with God. I, I am from East Texas. We hold grudges in East Texas. You know, the Hatfields and McCoys weren't from there, but we were related to them. And uh, so I've, I had to struggle with forgiveness. And I'll tell you what, I, how I finally got over it. Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. And the best way to overcome resentment is to make it a regular habit of praying that God will bless those that you're trying to forgive. Because in doing so, you acknowledge that they're God's problem, not yours. And you align themselves yourself with his will for them, not yours. It's incredibly powerful. So the disciples start with, Lord, teach us to pray. And our Lord gives them a model prayer. Lead us not into temptation. Now, James makes it clear God can't be tempted with evil, and therefore he cannot tempt. But he does allow us to be tested. I think what the prayer is saying is, Lord, don't, don't let us have more than we can handle. Protect us by the power of your spirit from struggling, uh, falling into sin. Paul assures us that no temptation has taken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, and with the temptation will provide a way of escape. That God will, as long as we look to him, help us in our temptation. Because nothing destroys that intimacy with God like falling into sin. So this, this model prayer is an amazing framework that we can hang our prayers onto. And there's books and books and books and books written about prayer. But it's a great starting point, isn't it? The second thing, though, he says, after having given us a model prayer in verses uh, 5 through tw- uh, 10, he says, but keep on praying. Did you catch that? Keep on praying. Look at what it says. Uh, 
And he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, leave, lend me three loaves. And he goes on to tell about uh, uh, someone who has a guest show up at their house and suddenly have to feed them and they don't have food. So it's midnight and they go knocking on the door next door. Now, the context of that is in, in Israel at that point, most people lived in single room houses. And the whole family slept in the bed together. And, 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 and in fact, oftentimes, the sheep and other livestock might be in the front room, the front of the, right, just inside the door. That's why it made sense. Jesus was laying as a manger. There may well have been a manger right inside the door because they brought their sheep inside. And, and then they all went to sleep at night once their favorite shows were over. And, 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 and this next door neighbor comes knocking on your door and says, hey, I need some bread. How would you respond? Well, Jesus says most of them will say, go away. You're waking up the kids. It's going to ruin my life for the rest of the night. Go away. And what does Jesus say the answer is? Keep praying. Because, because of your shameless, the word literally is shameless, requesting. Your neighbor will finally get, you, get up to give it to you just to make you go away. Now, he's not saying that God has the same attitude of your neighbor, but what he says is that if that works for your neighbor, imagine how important it is that you keep on praying. Because sometimes our tendency is when our prayer life doesn't go the way we think it should, we just stop asking. What does that mean? We become distant from God. And, and we have to keep on. By the way, this is true in all relationships. Um, a relationship stops deteriorating when we stop asking, when we stop expressing, right? Um, you, you, you keep coming back to the relationship because you care. You know, it's like the husband said, I told you I loved you when we got married. I'll let you know if there's a change. That doesn't work well. That just, it's not the way to keep intimacy in marriage, right? Um, relationships are stirred by continuing to come back even, even when it doesn't go quite the way I want it to. So Jesus gives a model prayer and then he says, keep asking because everyone that seeks will find, everyone asks will be received. In other words, God will ultimately provide. If you're like me, you're thinking, yeah, but what about when he says no? What about Jesus? I know you're saying to keep praying. I know that's a good thing. But what about what about when it feels like I'm talking to the wall? Well, the last couple of verses answer that. Verse eleven: What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then are evil know how to give your good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The way you keep coming back is you trust His love. And the metaphor that God embraces for Himself, the best description God can give of His relationship to us is our Heavenly Father, where He began. 
And he said, normal fathers don't give their children snakes. Normal fathers don't give their children scorpions. Now, some people have bad fathers. If you do, that's a massive heartache to overcome. And one of the things you have to, and all of us have imperfect fathers. You know, I used to say to my girls, you'll need counseling. I'll help pay for it if I need to. But you'll need, you can go in, say, my dad was a pastor, and he, you won't believe. And they will believe. Um, um, nobody has a perfect father like the Heavenly Father. Some of you have had horrible fathers. And, and I, please know. God is sympathetic to that. But normally speaking, right? Normally speaking, even in the secular world, fathers want to bless their children. Even even imperfect fathers want, want to be kind to their children. And, and Jesus says, you assume that about earthly fathers. How much more can you assume that about your heavenly father? Well, yeah, Andy, but I prayed and God never answered. Yeah. But he loves you. He gave your son. And to me, to me the metaphors of scripture are some of the greatest means of understanding theology. And the 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 equation of our relationship God as a father-child relationship is staggeringly helpful. If, even, if you've ever had children, you remember when they were, say, four or five, and they keep asking you for something that you knew as an adult, giving that to them would be horrific. You know, it would be, it would be terrible to say yes to them. And, and you tried to explain it, and, and they refused to understand it because they wanted it so bad. And they persisted over and over and over again. And maybe, just maybe, when they discovered you weren't going to do it, they told you that you weren't their friend anymore or something like that. Um, maybe that's sometimes what happens with God. We're the child with very finite understanding. And we don't know all the facts. In fact, we know very few of the facts. And we tell God what we need, and he says, I hear you, I love you, but no. And the issue is, do we love him more than what we're asking for? See, prayer is ultimately important when we know just how much God loves us. And we know how great and powerful he is. And that when someone that powerful loves us that much, the rational and reasonable thing to do is go and talk to him. Jesus said, you're a better father yourself than what you give credit to God to being. Perhaps he's even better. All of us struggle with prayer. It's, it's uh, one of my favorite passages is um, when Jacob wrestled the angel. Um, I don't know if you remember that. And, and 
the angel of the Lord may have been the pre-incarnate Christ and he wrestled all, all night and finally the angel touches Jacob's hip and, and paralyzes him and Jacob says, Lord, I won't let go until you bless me. Sometimes that's how my prayers end. Lord, I won't let go until you bless me. Give me peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible love for us. We thank you that you listen to our prayers no matter how childish they might be. Lord, give us the courage to pray to you regularly. In Christ's name, amen.